Amen, and welcome. Welcome to Grace. What a great time of worship we've had already. And as we continue in worship, let's keep seeking God and seeing what He has for us. You know, we live in a universe, we live in a world where words matter. God's words matter, but so do ours. You don't have to explore very far in Scripture uh, until you see that God's words matter. Uh, in fact, uh, the Apostle Peter reminds us in his little letter, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 5, that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water. You go back to the book of Genesis to see how that unfolded, and what you see there is that God spoke spoke and bam, all these incredible things began to go into motion. And galaxies were spun into space and planets in their orbits and life began to emerge because God spoke. It was ex nihilo, out of nothing. And came the word of God and then, wow, you see so clearly... Boy, God's words matter. But the universe was not only created by the word of God, it's also upheld and sustained by it. If you check the book of Hebrews, for instance, chapter 1, verse 3, it says, He upholds all things by the word of His power. The world is literally being sustained by the very power of God's word. Isaiah the prophet reminds us in Isaiah 55 that God's words are so powerful that, that when he speaks them, they do not return void or empty, but rather they accomplish what God intends them to accomplish. God's words matter. But so do ours. And one of the realities of being created in the image of God is that we realize that our words matter too. We can give life or we can give death. Bible says that's in the power of the tongue. We can bless, we can blast, we can encourage and build up, we can discourage and tear down, we can be clear or we can be confusing all with our words. Consider the case of the Illinois man who was trying to escape the brutal winter of Chicagoland, and he was going to take a little vacation in Florida. And his wife was on a business trip, and she was going to join him down there the very next day. Well, when he reached his hotel, he decided he would send his wife a, a little email. But as he typed her email into his smartphone, he missed one letter, missed one letter, and the email went instead to a grieving widow, a preacher's wife whose husband had passed away just the day before. And when the grieving widow checked her email, she took one look at the screen and shrieked and fell down in a dead faint. Her family rushed into the room and this note was on the screen. Dearest wife, just got checked in. Everything prepared for your arrival tomorrow. Signed, your eternally loving husband, 
P.S. Sure is hot down here. Words can be confusing or clear. They can build up or tear down. Words matter. We talked recently about a warfare mentality in this boot camp series. So important. We may not like that reality, but it's true. We're engaged in a cosmic battle and the stakes are high. Did you know that your words make a big difference in the victory in that battle? Revelation chapter 12, verse 3, talks about these saints, these women and men who walked with God. And it says they, Nikaio, Nikaio, they overcame the devil by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. I love that Greek word, Nikaio. It means they not only overcame him, they pulverized him. What a powerful thing a Christian testimony is. Words matter. To take it one step further, Jesus sobers all of us. When he teaches incredibly in Matthew 12, that it's out of the abundance of the heart that our words come. And he says, I tell you the truth, you're going to give an account for every idle word you speak in this life. By your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. I don't know all that that means, but I'll tell you this, it reminds me powerfully that words matter. So as we continue in this Boot Camp Basics series, we come to this lesson today from James chapter 3, and again, it's like all the other lessons. I mean, I don't know any way to put it to you. These lessons are so foundational that if we don't get them, really embrace them, really learn these boot camp basic lessons, we're going to struggle in our spiritual life, we're going to struggle with our growth and progress, and be unnecessarily frustrated. So let's dive in. First of all, I want us to understand this text a little better. The first thing I see in these verses in James 3, is that my tongue is little but powerful. Let's take a look at what he says. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Consider what a huge forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Wow. You know, there's some passages in Scripture where you kind of need a Greek lexicon or a Hebrew word book to understand them. There's some passages that are so mysterious 
that you think, wow, where do I find a commentary to help me with this? But not this passage. You don't need any background in the Bible even to understand what this is saying. The tongue is powerful to help or hurt, to bless, to blast. Words can change the whole course of our lives. Young David Brainerd certainly found that to be true. I don't know if you recognize the name, David Brainerd, but his journals and the introduction to those journals written by Jonathan Edwards, is the single most impactful, influential missionary document ever, period. It's influenced more people not only to go to the mission field and spend their life that way, but also to seek God and really be excellent at it. David Brainerd, through the tragedy of words, found the whole course of his life altered. Let me tell you quickly his story. He was born in 1718 in a small town in Connecticut. He was saved in the Great Awakening in the early 1700s, swept up into that, wanted to get training for ministry, felt a call, wanted to do nothing more than pastor a church in Connecticut. So he went to Yale College to get the training he needed. As a third-year student, Brainerd had done so well, he had excelled so much academically and socially. He had proven himself to be an articulate young man. He was at the top of his class, ahead of schedule, ready to graduate not too far in the future. He was going to be the class valedictorian, but he had a problem with his tongue. He would say things brashly at times. He was kind of critical in spirit. And in an ill-timed display of youthful indiscretion, Brainerd criticized one of his tutors, a man named Chauncey Whittlesey, announcing, and I quote now, that he has, quote, no more grace than a chair, end quote. And he wondered that the man, quote, did not drop down dead, end quote, for his lack of support towards students awakened by God. Now, in our day, that wouldn't even get a blink. We live in a culture that criticism is just expected. We live with talk shows and social media where it's just rampant with words out of control. But in that day, trust me, Yale wasn't looking for customer feedback. And they didn't take kindly to this. And though he nearly completed his work for his degree was about to graduate, valedictorian. He was expelled irrevocably by the school. And although he apologized, although he went to Mr. Whittlesey and asked his forgiveness and was forgiven still, he was not admitted back, not allowed to finish his degree or graduate. Now, being a pastor in those days in New England required that you graduate from one of these approved schools that were on the list and he was forever barred from being a pastor. It was only then that he turned to missions because he couldn't follow his life dream. The rest is history. 
Now, we're going to do a series starting in May on the will of God. I don't want you to miss that. I'm going to make a prophetic announcement, although I'm not a prophet or a son of a prophet, and although I do work for a nonprofit organization, I am going to prophesy that will be the most impactful series we've ever had in our history. <laughs> I don't want you to miss it. We're going to return to David's Brainerd story and look at some other angles of it because God's will is fascinating. But you see here the power of ill-spoken words to totally derail a life's ambition. And that's what James is saying here, that the tongue is small, but wow, is it powerful for charting the course of a life. Second... I see from this text that my tongue is not only powerful, but it's also hard to tame. Verse 7, all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But, I love this phrase, no man can tame the tongue. Isn't that a great phrase? No man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Note that phrase, a restless evil. Greek scholars tell us that word has this sense about it, that the tongue is ready to break out at any time. Has it ever happened to you? Have you ever said something, and the moment it left your mouth, you're like, oh, I want that back. Ah, I wish I hadn't said that. Wish I could take that back. Wish that had never left my mouth. We've all been there and done that, right? That's what he means. Our words are ready to break out. We say these random things, we where did that come from? Well, here's what we're about to see, that it didn't just come randomly at all. It's a hard truth to accept, but the truth is that words are simply a reflection of what's inside of me. Anger inside, anger comes out. Joy inside, joy comes out. Jesus put that like this in Luke 6. The good man out of the good things brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. And the evil person brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Country folks used to put it like this. Whatever's down in the well comes up in the bucket. And if there's poison inside, poison will come out. James says, look, you can nail this down. No man can tame the tongue. But third here, and we've already, of course, touched on this, but we see in this text that my tongue is not only hard to tame, but it reveals clearly what's inside of me. I like to say it like this. The mouth is a billboard of the soul. You want to know what's inside? Just listen. Just listen to how a person talks, and you'll know. We read on in verse 9, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who've been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praise and cursing. And he's like, what gives? My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a Fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs, neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. 
We see in our relationships that someone will have this volcanic explosion and they just spew these toxic words out and hurt people. And then often, if they're confronted, they'll say, well, what are you so upset about? It's just words. Listen, listen, listen. Whoever you are, wherever you are in life, whatever you're up to, we ought to get this deep in our soul. We ought to nail this down. We ought to get rid of the category, just words. Because there's no such thing as just words. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never harm me. We all know that's ridiculous. Words can hurt deeply, and they reveal the state of our soul. So, James is calling here for integrity. A continuity between who we are and what we say. It's the closing of that gap like we talked about last week. There should be zero gap between what we say and what we do. Our words should reflect who we really are and who we claim to be. Now, I hope we understand that text a little better. It really doesn't require a lot of fancy hermeneutics to get it. It's so clear. But now I want us to spend the remainder of our time applying this text. Let's apply the text to our lives. And I'm going to actually approach it like this. I want to divide it into three declarations that I've made for my life. And I'm going to invite you to make. I'd love for everybody to get in on this. It's not going to be easy. This is challenging. I'll tell you in advance. Spoiler alert, this won't be easy. But I invite you to make these declarations. If God gives you the grace to do so, let's make these declarations individually and also as a community. Because words matter, I make these three commitments. Number one, that God's words are going to shape and inform my words. Now, some of you may say, boy, I tell you, Pastor, when you talk on a subject like this, I feel really convicted. And let me tell you why. Because this has been a big struggle for me. Oh, man, it's in my family history. I'll tell you, my family, we just, whoo, we've got some virtues, but I want to tell you, we are out of control when it comes to words. I really feel like, Pastor, I need a tongue transplant. Well, I hear you. I hear you. But you know what? The problem's not really here. The problem's here. The problem's not here. The problem's here. Jesus said the heart. It's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. If we're going to get our speech right, it has to begin inside of us. So here's the question then. How can I get changed on the inside? Some of you are into gut health, aren't you? You've heard, and I believe there's so much solid truth in this, that so many maladies in our body really are stem back and have their source in the relative health of our gut, so to speak. What's inside of us, our intestinal tract, and so on. That's where so much of it begins. And so you try to address that. Man, you're taking supplements. You're taking your daily turmeric and your ground, you know, cloves, and so on. You're, you're getting antioxidants in your diet, aren't you? Bravo, good. These are all good things. You're, you're drinking your 
acai berry juice, aren't you? Wonderful, wonderful. I find it interesting that Proverbs 4 says that when we take God's words into our inside, they're like health to a person's whole body. It's better than organic quinoa and acai berries, man. I mean, it's like health. You want to get your heart right. Here's what Scripture says. You've got to get the Word of God, the truth of God, somehow inside of you. 2 Timothy 3 reads, And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures. Paul is writing this to his young disciple Timothy, who was at that time a pastor, actually, a young pastor in the city of Ephesus which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, so far he says, we can come to salvation through the revelation of the Scriptures. That's huge. We come to know who Jesus is, what he did for us, all through the Word of God. And then he says, all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for several things. Look at some of the things getting God's Word in you is useful for teaching, Rebuking, correcting, training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, please listen carefully to what I'm about to say. The finest followers of Jesus for 2,000 years now all agree on this. You go back historically, study it. Take the women of God who've been the best at following Jesus. Take the, take the guys, take the men who've been the best as disciples. They all agree that the key to changing the inside of you is to get the word of God in you. That's so important. I want us to say it out loud together at all of our campuses. Would you join in, please? We're going to read it right off the screens. Let's say it out loud together. Read it off the screens with me, please. The key to changing the inside of you is to get the Word of God in you. Oh, that's important. So important. We're going to say it one more time together out loud. Join in, if you would, please. The key to changing the inside of you is to get the Word of God in you. Oh, I wish we had time to take you to all the passages that speak about that. But let me just give you one. Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. Now let me give you one more. Jeremiah 15, 16. Listen to what the prophet said. Thy words were found and I ate them. Catch that language. I ate them and thy words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I have been called by thy name, O Lord God of hosts. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 4, 11, Speak as it were the utterances of God. You get God's word in you. That's when your speech begins to so powerfully change. Let's make that commitment together. Brothers and sisters, that's why we beg you, we implore you constantly to crack open your Bible. Get on some kind of schedule with that. It'll change your life. Listen, if you're, if you're concerned about your physical health, wonderful, bravo, I wish more people were. This is a lot better. 
This is not going to just profit you down here on this planet, which is like that. This is going to have value for all eternity in your life. You ought to take this supplement daily. Get the word of God inside of you. And hear me, nothing, nothing, not a single thing you could ever do is more catalytic in transforming your life than opening God's word and reflecting on that. That's where powerful prayer comes from. That's where powerful life change comes from. That's where life-changing insights begin to show up in your life and you go, whoa, I've been doing this all wrong. God is pointing me in this direction. All comes from God's word. The great women and men of God have understood that down through the centuries, and it is still as true as it's ever been. Second, would you dare make this commitment today in your personal life? I will use words to help and not to hurt. One of the greatest gifts you can ever receive in your life is a regular dose of encouraging words. I honestly don't know how I could have survived or could survive going forward without brothers and sisters regularly encouraging me and lifting me up. Proverbs 25, 11 says, A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Some of you are so good at this. Way to go. Some of you, mostly more mature brothers and sisters in Christ, you're so good at just showing up alongside of people and saying an encouraging word. It's just the right time, and God uses that to inject courage into your friends and to your brothers and sisters. What a blessing you are. You usually know who these people are because they usually got folks hanging out around them. Because they know you get around this person, you're going to get some good stuff. So people show up. Years ago, I started what I call an encouragement file. And I just started filing away when I got a card, a note, an email, something like that. Something that encouraged me. A handwritten note scribbled on a piece of scrap paper. Whatever it was, I would file it away in an encouragement file. And I've kept those through the years. And because I've had it so many years, that file is huge now. It takes up many, many folders. And now there's a lot of, a lot of it stored electronically as well. And I go back to that periodically, especially when I'm in dry seasons or a, li a little bit discouraged. I don't know about you, but I tend to remember, do you remember when you receive an encouraging word? I, boy, I do. I can remember vividly right now the first time a junior high school, all the way back there, basketball coach said, you know, you've got great form on your jump shot. I think you keep working. You're going to be a good shooter. I, I was exalted. I was elated. That just fed my spirit. I'll never forget the first time I preached. And somebody came up afterward and said, you know what? God really used you today. I, I think you ought to do this more often. I'll never forget the first time a seminary professor, I wrote this paper, and these two professors bragged on this paper and asked if they could use it as like a model paper that they wanted to use in this doctoral colloquium. And they said, wow, you really have a gift of writing 
you ought to develop that gift. I'll never forget that. It's still fresh today. I remember the first time when someone I consider to be a really great leader said to me, I see leadership gifts in you. And man, that stoked the fire. It made me want to develop those gifts. I still hang on to those words today. Hey, let me give, give you a verse that's amazing. Proverbs 10, 11 says, The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Isn't that a great verse? Proverbs 10, verse 11. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. You know why people flock around folks who are like this? Because they're drinking living water, man. They're getting in on the fountain. The mouth of the righteous person is like a fountain of life. But you know as well as I do that words can also be very hurtful, right? You can destroy a person's reputation with slanderous words. A man spoke slanderously of another man to the point of telling blatant lies. And he did this over a period of time. Finally, he was struck with conviction. He began to regret what he had done. He, he felt remorse. And he did the right thing. He went to the man he had slandered. He confessed it all. He said, I've said horrible lies about you. And I want you to know I'm deeply sorry for it. Please forgive me. And the man who'd been offended was so gracious. And he graciously forgave the man. And said, listen, let, let's not even speak of it again. But then the offender said, but I feel so horrible. What can I do to try to make this right? And the man said, well, I'll tell you what you could do. Why don't you get a big feather pillow and cut a hole in it? And what I want you to do is drive up in your car, up and down the roads of this community with the feather pillow kind of out the window. And I want you on a windy day to do this and let those Feathers just go out as you drive all over the community of our region. And I want you to do that until every feather has gone out of that pillowcase. And I want you to go home, wait a few hours. And I want you to go back. And I want you to find every single feather and put it back in the pillowcase. I can't do that. That would be impossible. The, the wind has blown them who knows where. The man said, precisely. You are fully forgiven, honestly. I do not hold this against you. God has forgiven you. Thank you for your humble repentance. I forgive you as well. But those words are out there now. And you can't go back and retrieve them because the winds of gossip have blown them God knows where. And that's the nature of words, isn't it? Once it's said, it cannot be unsaid. That's why the poet Will Carlton wrote back in the 1800s, boys flying kites haul in their white-winged birds. You can't do that when you're flying words. Things that we think may sometimes fall back dead, but God himself can't kill them when they're said. Proverbs says, chapter 10, verse 19, when words are many, sin is not absent. But he who holds his tongue is wise. Now, married people, you can make a huge positive difference in your marriage. Those of you who are in serious relationships, what a difference you can make with words. 
I have read that the average man in our country speaks on average about 20,000 words a day. The average woman speaks about 30,000 words a day. Now, all the research I've ever read says that on average, you may be the outlier, and if so, that's great, but women tend to desire to want to speak a bit more than men. That's just what the research says. Perhaps you heard about the couple who had been married for 60 years, and while traveling one day, they stopped at a rest area and stretched and walked around a little and went to the restroom, and then the husband jumped in the car and took on on off up the highway and after about 15 minutes he was stopped by a policeman with the sirens blaring he pulled over to the side and the police officer walked up to the window and said sir I've been trying to catch up with you now for about 15 minutes to let you know that you accidentally left your wife back there at that rest area and the old timer exclaimed praise the Lord I thought I was going deaf Some of you will get that tomorrow. Uh, All the studies reveal the same data. Women, 30,000 words. Men, about 20,000 words. And I tell you, a lot of men, it's pretty much a lot less than that. They don't speak much. One woman said, this statistic is realistic. It's accurate because all of us wives have to explain everything to our husbands two or three times just so he can understand it. You know that's true. You know that's true. We use a lot of words in marriage. But would you make a commitment to use words that help and don't hurt? This past Monday at 7.34 a.m., I'd gotten up at 5 o'clock, a little bit before 5, been at the gym, been in the Word, had an 8 o'clock meeting I was getting to. I get this text from Debbie at 7.34 just want you to know how proud I am of you. I respect your tenacity. Not many can handle the pressure and grind for 26 years. I'm proud of your willingness to try new ideas slash schedules to see if we can find something better. I'm appreciative of your patience with me as I fluctuate between pushing myself and crashing. I love you. Four exclamation points. We are a great Question, do you think those words on that text helped or hurt? Are you kidding me? Those words were a fountain of life for me. They were so uplifting. I would run through a brick wall for that woman after words like that. Now, going shopping with her, now that's, that's, see, you got to have boundaries. You got to have boundaries Okay, but a brick wall, no problem. How encouraging. See, I like to think that every interaction we have in a relationship, is, it's like we've all got a love bank. And every interaction is either a deposit or a withdrawal. Every interaction, whether words are spoken or not. Every interaction, you're either depositing something more so the bank account grows, or you're withdrawing something so that the bank account is shrinking. Those words Debbie texted to me were a huge deposit in the love bank, and that's what healthy married people do on a regular basis for each other. They intentionally make those deposits. 
Paul writes in Ephesians 4, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what's helpful, there's your word, helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Are you willing to make that commitment today? I'm going to use words that help and not hurt. Finally, that I will speak words that are pleasing to God. How much does pleasing God kind of play into your daily ambition? See, the distinctive mark of the true believer is she or he really wants to please God. Consider two passages. 2 Timothy 2, Paul writes, No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Jesus, our commander, we want to please him. Or this passage, 2 Corinthians 5, 9. Therefore also, Paul writes, we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, meaning whether we're in heaven or whether we're on earth, to be pleasing to him. When you come to Christ, there's a whole new ambition. Everything else pales in comparison to that desire to want to please Christ. Can you make that commitment today with your words? I'm going to please the Lord with my words. There's a verse that I just kind of pray silently just about every time before I stand up to preach or speak somewhere. Here it is. It's it's from Psalm 19, verse 14. And this is just my prayer before I go and speak, whether it's at Grace or anywhere else. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. My rock and my redeemer. Would you make that commitment today? Why don't you start every day with that? Why don't I get up every day and start with that declaration? God, I'm going to speak 30,000 words today, 20,000 words, but may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, may they be pleasing to you. Oh, how God's grieved when we rip into our family, our kids, our spouse, go off on them spew toxic poison, but oh how pleased our Father is when we use words like a fountain of life to build up. I watched them tearing a building down, a gang of men in a busy town. With a ho-heave-ho and a lusty yell, they swung a beam and the sidewalk fell. I asked the foreman, are these men skilled And the men you'd hire if you had to build. Ha! He gave a laugh and said, no indeed. Just common labor is all I need. I can easily wreck in a day or two what builders have taken a year to do. And I thought to myself as I went my way, which of these roles have I tried to play? Am I a builder who works with care? measuring life by the rule and square? Am I shaping my deeds to a well-made plan, patiently doing the best I can? Or am I a wrecker who walks the town content with the labor of tearing down? Which are you? Words matter. Remind us powerfully all this week and beyond that words matter, your words and ours.
in Jesus' name. Amen.